Trigger warning. This podcast episode contains discussions of a highly sensitive nature, including complications of dialysis and the failure of kidney transplants that may be triggering for some individuals. Five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, related chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from Milton Keynes, England is Chef Darren Ferguson. Darren joins me today for the second and final part of his remarkable story of receiving six kidney transplants. So I know you went on to a different type of dialysis. So you then went on to peritoneal dialysis. So tell me about that. After my third transplant, I just felt like I needed a change. <laughs> you, you know, complete change. And they introduced me to peritoneal dialysis. And this is where I transferred from Royal Free Hospital to Milton Keynes General, because I lived in Milton Keynes. Well, well, I still do. Yeah, so they said, why don't you try peritoneal dialysis? You don't have to come into the hospital. You can do it at home four times a day. And I thought, you know, it doesn't sound too bad. At least I can do what I want to do when I want. You know, they said the good thing about peritoneal dialysis, it took like half an hour. You know, so I thought, yeah, that's okay. So had the procedure of putting the tube, the catheter in. And yeah, I started. What surprised me, to be honest, when I started, they said, oh, you're going to have a delivery of a few items. So I said, okay, no problem. <laughs> when this delivery van turned up, <laughs> I thought I was moving home. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely can relate to that. <laughs> I was like, what on earth? It was like boxes upon boxes upon boxes. And I never forget, but I said, where am I going to put all this? <laughs> <laughs> but thank God we had a double garage at the time. So we were able to section off a part of the garage and made it into like a mini hospital, you know, boxes of saline and boxes of this and that all from Baxter. And that's when it kind of dawned on me like, well, actually, this is not going to be as easy <laughs> as, as I was told. <laughs> You know, only 20 minutes, half an hour of your time. But I soon discovered it's actually maybe like an hour by the time you set everything up, you clean down, you know, sanitize yourself in the area. And yeah, doing the whole procedure actually took time. So I wasn't best pleased. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I wasn't happy about the situation. And to be fair, my body really didn't take to peritoneal dialysis at all constantly having infections after infections peritonitis infection and i could always tell 
when I was getting infection because the saline, which is normally clear, becomes like a dark yellow color. And you get like what feels like stomach cramp, <laughs> like the worst pain in your stomach ever. And I just felt like you guys told me this was going to be easier. But at times I was actually spending more time in hospital than I had done previously with hemodialysis or anything like that. But again, we dug deep and we do what we do <laughs> as a kidney patient. We just dig deep and get on and fight our way through it. But yeah, I didn't enjoy a minute of peritoneal dialysis at all, <laughs> to be honest with you. So it sounds like they didn't really prepare you for the practical side of what peritoneal dialysis involves. And then mm. on top of that, you had to deal with the infections and the, the physical challenges of yeah. what was involved. So did you then switch back to hemodialysis or did you still stick with the peritoneal dialysis? No, I stick with the peritoneal dialysis for a while. Yeah, because it, as hard as it was, it kind of suited my lifestyle, you know, because I wasn't going to the hospital three times a week. I was able to get decent sleep. You, you, you know, I think the, the hardest part, to be honest with you, because I was still, because I was still young, everywhere I went, I had to take dialysis with me. So where hemo, when I came off, I felt like a normal person. With peritoneal dialysis, you were always reminded that you're a kidney patient. You, you know, if I went away for a weekend, it wasn't just taking a bag of clothes. It was like suitcases of this stuff, you know, which got to me as well. Because as I've said previously, I just wanted to be normal. But it was, I was always reminded what actually mate. Your kidney patient, if you need reminders, just look in the corner. You, you know, so going to family members for a weekend, going on holidays was always difficult. You know, I remember going to America with some friends of mine. And I told my consultant, that I want to go to America. How do we navigate all of this? And he said, yeah, you can go fine. You just need to take your dialysis with you. I'm like, well, it's not like just packing up a bag of sugar in your, in your luggage. It's a whole heap of stuff. I'm like, no, don't worry. We'll speak to the medics in America and they will, you know, transfer everything to your apartment where I was staying. And I never forget when they came to the door. Again, the same thing as I was at home, you know, packs of this dialysis, <laughs> literally. And my friends was like, what on earth? Because <laughs> this is like the first time they've seen this side of my life. And I said, yeah, this is my life. You know, I always remember I didn't enjoy that holiday at all because you, you know i went to florida you know florida is a great place you want to do all the the entertainment and the attractions and and in the back of my mind it's like okay we're going here today but how many packs of dialysis do i need to take with me you know how much of this how much of that and if we're going to be too long i'd have to go back to the car while everyone else is doing whatever they're doing and sit in the car for like half an hour an hour do my dialysis you know so for me, it wasn't a holiday. <laughs> it was just a different change of location. But again, while I was there, I had to have a good talking to myself and say, look, there's many people who would love to come to America or even go on holiday. You've got the opportunity. Just enjoy it as much as you can, which I did for a while. But then I got another infection, which almost killed me, <laughs> to be fair, because I was in America. And yeah, by the time I got back to the UK, my consultant said, if you didn't come back 
within 24 hours, you'd have been dead. Oh Literally, that's how bad the infection was. And that's when I thought, you know what? I'm not made out for this type of dialysis. I'm not. Let me just go back on hemo, which I done. Yeah, again, very difficult. <laughs> you know, if you're a kidney patient, you know the, the ups and downs and roller coaster ride that we have to go on. Yeah, so it's been really challenging, really challenging with different types of dialysis. And, but you know what? Let's turn it into a positive. I'm still here. <laughs> Let's turn it into a positive. Let's not make this too negative. <laughs> There's a blessing in everything. It just depends on how you see it. I'm still here to tell the story. So you went on to have a fourth kidney transplant. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about how this came about. This is actually quite a funny one, to be fair. Funny, but not funny. Same scenario. Call comes through. There's a kidney. Same procedure as the others. Run to the hospital. But the funny thing about this one, to be fair, now remember, there was two of us called and it was actually meant to go to the other person, but they were actually too poorly to have the surgery, bless them. Now, obviously, with a transplant or an organ, excuse me, again, as I said, it's time sensitive. So they can't say, okay, go home, recover. And you can come back and have the transplant. So unfortunately, that person missed out and it came to me. And yeah, had the transplant, everything went okay. You know, there were no grand promises <laughs> or this is a perfect match. It's like, yeah, you can go ahead and have the surgery. Yeah, and I had it. And it, yeah, it was okay. There was no dramatics. There's no drama. I think I was in and out within a week seven to ten days and yeah just got on with my life as best as I could. So after the experience of your third kidney transplant did you have a, a fear that that was going to happen again with this one? Yeah definitely it was definitely on my mind so I remember waking up again and I asked my mum did the kidney work and she said yes so I was like great and to be honest with you I think a part of me has been so traumatized from the third transplant. If I'm honest with myself, you're never, well, I'm never able to fully relax with the transplant. You know, I'm always thinking if I feel any kind of pain where they put the transplant in, oh, is the kidney rejecting? If I'm not passing as much urine as I should, is it rejected? You know, and I was always on edge, you know, and I remember my consultant, at this time, who's a great guy, you know, because I'm in Milton Keynes now, I've now developed relationships with these people, said, Darren, you need to relax, <laughs> you know, enjoy this process, you know, because it can be taken away from you tomorrow. And I'm like, well, me, I know that. <laughs> but I was always so frightened, is the word, to hear those words that you're going to go back on dialysis. So, yeah, I don't think with the fourth transplant, I ever was able to really maximize or enjoy it as much as I should have. You mentioning about the fear of losing your transplant is something I hear from a lot of kidney transplant patients. It's something yeah. I often hear. But for you, being the fourth time around, I can only imagine it was amplified a million times more 
being going through this so many times and experiencing all of this trauma. So um, unfortunately, this fourth kidney transplant went on to fail. Yeah. What was going through your mind after the fourth kidney transplant failed? Do you know what? It affected me, but in a negative kind of way, I was expecting it, to be honest. Because at this point, I was kind of feeling like, you know what, there's only so much fighting you can do. (laughs) You know, I've tried to fight as much as I can, and I'm older. I'm mentally now really tired. Mentally, emotionally, physically. You know, I've got scars all over my body, my arms. I'm tired at this point. And I think by the time they told me that this transplant was going to fail, because unless it's really drastic, they kind of give you like a timeline to say this kidney is going to last like three months, four months or whatever, just to kind of give yourself time to adjust what dialysis you want to do. If you want to do dialysis, because at some point, some people don't want to do dialysis anymore. Death is a better option. But for me, I, I kind of felt like, well, it was always going to happen. Because I'm tired, I didn't really think straight. I think I just went into autopilot of let's survive. I never really dealt with the loss of the fourth kidney transplant. It's just like, I need to go into survival mode. The kidney's going to fail. What are we going to do now? I knew for me, peritoneal dialysis was not an option. My peritoneum had been damaged too badly at this point. So I knew it was hemodialysis. So it's like, okay, what, what do you want to do? Do you want to have a, a neckline? Do you want a chest line? Do you want a fistula? What, you know, these different options that were presented to me. But yeah, it was just complete survival mode. It didn't happen. Let's get over it. Looking back, really, I should have taken the time to deal with the loss because it may sound silly, but every transplant that fails needs time to, for that grieving moment, get over the shock of one minute you've got your life as normal, quote unquote normal, and then it's ripped from you. But I, I didn't deal with it. It was just like instantly, let's go into survival mode. Let's get onto dialysis. Let's just crack on. And that's what I'd done. I decided to do hemodialysis at this point. They said I could have a fistula, but with a fistula, it takes time to form. I believe it's like six weeks to form. So I said, okay. So yeah, I decided to have a neckline, which I didn't really understand at the time. It was just the three options, fistula, neckline, chest line. So I did say, let's have a fistula put in, but that takes six weeks to form. And during that period, I needed dialysis of some sort. So I said, let's have a neckline. So I went down to theatre. There's me thinking they're going to put me to sleep. And they're like, no, we do it while you're awake. I'm like, sorry. What? <laughs> what? I'm like, yeah, it's like, yeah, we do it on the local. You won't feel anything. Don't worry. And I was just like, okay. Now, I've always put my head in some sort of headspace to survive procedures. and put my mind somewhere where I don't feel pain. You know, I've got a very high pain threshold. So I remember the the worst part about it, to be honest, when they covered my face, I hate things being 
<laughs> I hate my face being covered. They covered my face, put like some kind of hole through the towel or whatever. And I felt like the lignocaine on my neck where they're about to cut. And I was like, okay, that's okay. That's fine. And then they cut. And all I could feel was this pulling and tugging. And it was just like, oh my. <laughs> and I mean, my pain threshold was put to the limit that day. It was really, it was an experience. <laughs> I don't want to say too much because there may be someone who may want a neckline one day or need it. And so uh, let's move on real quick. <laughs> but yeah, the neckline went in. <laughs> and I remember it literally felt like I was had a weight on my neck because my neck was leaning to the side. I guess it's from all the, the surgery and whatever. And I looked in the mirror. And I literally felt like Frankenstein. No exaggeration. I like, how on earth am I going to walk the streets with this hanging from my neck? <laughs> yeah, and I just felt like rubbish. I was like, I get I need some sort of dialysis, but I've got to walk the streets. I've got to go to work. And, you know, people are going to look at you and, you know, some people have just <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> so in my head I was like okay I'm gonna have to have so many conversations what is this I'm a drummer and I remember we had an event and my brother's like you can't play with that <laughs> he wasn't saying it from a mean point of view he was like really overprotective right you, you know and I said yeah I'm gonna play I'm still gonna play the gig it's not gonna stop me and I remember people coming up just to talk to me and you literally stand in the way, like, don't get too close to my brother. Don't, don't, don't touch him. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, I'm fine. It's okay. But yeah, unfortunately, I developed an infection, an actual blood infection oh um, with the neckline, which I became so poorly. Literally, I was so poorly. It was unbelievable. I was actually in hospital for nine weeks. They took out the neckline. During this period, the fistula wasn't working as well as it should do. And now this was because obviously the complications. Don't forget that I've been dealing with this from three weeks old. So they said, we have to put a chest line in. So I said, okay. I said, are you going to put me to sleep? They're like, no, we don't put you to sleep for neck or chest lines. We don't do that. Oh my God. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't believe that. So I said, okay. Can you give me some sort of sedation or, and they said, no, we'll give you as much local as we can to numb the pain. But yeah, it's not a long procedure. At this time, I was quite muscly because I was like, you know, trying to go to the gym and all that kind of stuff. So they actually had issues getting the line through my chest. They were pulling and tugging and all sorts. and. Yeah, at a point during that procedure, I had to tell them to stop. Like, just give me a minute. <laughs> because I'm like, and I remember lying on that bed thinking, Darren, how much more can you actually do? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you've had so many surgeries, so many procedures. At this point, so many transplants. It's just like, it's getting ridiculous now. And then the consultant or the surgeon, excuse me, said, can we continue? So I said, okay. Cut a long story short, it was painful, but they done it. Done my dialysis. 
as negative as it sounds, I also got another infection <laughs> with the chest line. Now, I get all the infections that I've had because of the complications with surgery, procedures, whatever. So for me, that was kind of understandable. And they were able to explain it to me. But don't forget, during this time, I was still dealing with my infection, which was in my blood in hospital for nine, nine weeks, dealing with that, dealing with dialysis. But thank God he brought me through. It's been a journey. Let's just pause right here and say it's been a hell of a journey. And sometimes I don't really understand the magnitude of what I've been through until I sit down and actually talk about it. And yeah, if I was listening to this, I was thinking, this is crazy. (laughs) You know, it's something that I would actually have to live through to believe it. But yeah, we we done dialysis. Thank God I got over the blood poisoning that I had. And yeah, just done dialysis. Fischler was formed, started working okay. And yeah, as kidney patients, we just do what we do. <laughs> as crazy as it sounds. But what I found, kidney patients are very resilient. Some that I've spoken to, spent time with, we, we know how to survive. Forget the odd one or two who <laughs> do what they want to do. Majority of us, we know how to survive no matter what's going on. So I dug deep and yeah, done, done hemodialysis. I am speechless. Like <laughs> I am struggling to find words to say. I mean, to go through so much is just mm. unbelievable. The challenges that you faced is just, I'm speechless. I'm really <laughs> struggling for things to say because for you to come through all I just I just find it amazing. Like you're literally a miracle sitting in front mm. of me, what you've been through and the fact that you can actually find strength and hope and sit there with a smile and be positive after going through so much is really incredible. You're an incredible person, you really are. Oh, like, bless you. you honestly are the personification of warrior. You really are to go through so much and after all of that <laughs> yeah you then went on to have a fifth i cannot believe that i'm saying this a fifth yeah kidney transplant but this yeah. transplant was from a living donor yeah am i right in thinking that all the ones previously were from deceased donors deceased yeah that's right so this is now your first kidney transplant from a living donor yeah. So how did this come about? This one is interesting, to be honest. So at this point, it, again, it was at a low point where I was really struggling on dialysis. You know, I wasn't getting the maximum that I should be from it. And I had a really great friend, or well, I still have a great friend, excuse me, who unfortunately lost his wife. She passed away. And... He lives out of town. He came to see me and says, I want to give you my kidney. And to be honest with you, I just started laughing. (laughs) I was like, this guy must be drunk or something, (laughs) you know. And I will pause here and say, I already made up in my mind because my consultant said, Dan, you're really unwell. Is there nobody you can ask for a kidney? And again, I laughed because I'm like, it's not like asking someone for a bag of sugar. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, it's like, hey, can I have your kidney? Yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> so I just said, look, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm, I'm on dialysis. Yeah, I'm not well, but we'll do what we can. A number of people at this time saw how unwell I was and wanted to donate. Some of them actually done it behind my back, <laughs> which I wasn't happy with, but they came back and said it was a negative for whatever reason. You know, maybe they had health complications or different blood matches or whatever, but they came back in negative. So anyway, my friend came and saw me, said, I want to give you my kidney. I laughed. I said, no, we left it at that. He came back again with the same conversation. Now, this guy is a big guy. He's over six foot. I'm like five foot six. And he was like hovering over me saying, I'm going to give you my kidney. I didn't laugh at this point because this second time I was really poorly. <laughs> like, seriously, I, I didn't have nothing to laugh about. And I didn't even have the energy. I just said, you know what? Don't worry about it. In a way, I'm kind of used to my lifestyle now. You know, I know I've got dialysis on these days. At this point now, I'm really resting my body because my body, I have to. You know, I'm older. I can't just come off dialysis and go and play football, go to the gym, go to work. I need to give my body the right amount of rest. So I adjusted my lifestyle. So I said, no, it's okay. This went on probably for about six months with him coming back and forth, back and forth. But the last time he came, I could see like there was this serious look on his face. Like, I'm going to give you my kidney. I need to give you my kidney. So I thought, you know what, because you're a big guy, I'm not going to argue with you because <laughs> he could just knock me out at any time. So I said, you know what, you're not going to listen to me. The doctors themselves will tell you that you can't donate to me. Then there's nothing you can do. Nothing. Because don't forget, he just lost his wife as well. So I was very careful how to handle this situation, grieving and everything else, having to sort things out from his side of things of life. So he called the transplant team in Oxford and said, my name is, I want to donate to Mr. Mr. Ferguson. So they then called me and said, look, how do you feel about X, Y, Z? So I said, to be honest with you, I'm not happy about it, but this is a situation that's been going on for a while. So if he feels that he wants to do it, let's go through the test. We all know it's going to come back negative because, you know, I've had a number of procedures, transplants, surgeries, whatever. So we started doing the procedures, um, excuse me, the tests. And what I realized, they were coming back quite quickly, quicker than normal. And it was like, no, he's past this, he's past that. The match is good. So I said, I know where they're going to catch him is where they do the test on his mental state. Because obviously he's just lost a loved one. He's not in the right frame of mind and he's not ready to do this surgery, whatever. Maybe put it off for a few years. So I'm like, yeah, let's do this. I was all excited because I knew this is where the journey was going to come to an end. So I went in one room. They spoke to me about the journey that I've been on. They spoke to him. Obviously, I didn't get any results until later on. Now, the last conversation that I had was when the transplant team called me and said, how would you like to have a transplant? I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, no, your friend has passed all the tests. He's absolutely fine. He's got a body of an astronaut. He's super fit. We're happy to go ahead. Despite the challenge that he's been going through, he's absolutely fine. And I went quiet. 
I went absolutely quiet. And they said, are you still there? So I said, yeah, I'm still here. But I'm like really shocked. But little did they know I was shocked, but I was also playing the other transplants in my mind. And I had to think, do I really want to go through this? Because if this one fails, it won't only affect me, but it also affects somebody else that has no issues with his kidneys at all. So I spoke to him and he said, no, he's absolutely fine, wants to go ahead. So we went ahead with the surgery. He was like in and out of hospital within three days, <laughs> literally because they'd done it via keyhole. And I was, yeah, I was in and out like five days. Like my body was took to the kidney like a duck to water, which I was really surprised about. And yeah, I just got on with my life as best as I could. So you're now approximately 32 years old? Mm-hmm, that's right. And you've had your fifth kidney <laughs> transplant. That's crazy, right? I still, I still can't <laughs> believe those words are coming out of my mouth. You've had your fifth kidney transplant. Yeah. Your body's taken to it. Yeah. Everything's going really well. You're going back to living your normal life. Yeah. And then the worst happens again. <laughs> yeah. And the kidney fails. Yeah. And you're back on hemodialysis. Yeah. So I can't even begin to imagine what was going through your mind at this time after yeah. now losing the fifth kidney. I mean, because this kidney came from a living donor, was there an added feeling of anguish because of the sacrifice that he had made for you? Or was it the same? It didn't make any difference. It was now the loss of the fifth kidney, irrespective of where it came from. No, this one was difficult. Not only losing the fifth transplant, but because my friend was involved. And the hospital said, do you want us to call him? I was given five months that the kidney was going to last. But I actually died, quote unquote, within two months. They said, do you want us to call him and explain? I said, no, I'll call him. Because this kidney actually failed because, again, I felt really ill. I wasn't producing enough red blood cells, I believe. That's what they said. And I was passing out, literally walking on the street, passing out. I lost so much weight that I was in kid-sized clothes. You know, everything I was eating was coming back up. Yeah, it was just a really bad time. Really bad time. All I was doing was sleeping. That was it. Now, if you know about kidneys, the worst thing to do with a kidney transplant is have a blood transfusion. And that's how I was surviving. I had to survive on blood transfusions. Like they were putting pints in me like, like crazy just to survive for a day. Unfortunately, because of the seriousness of the illness that I had and the blood transfusions, the kidney just couldn't survive. And you know what? When I called him, I was crying. And he's like, I know. Don't worry about it. I know. I know the risks that, that I was taking on. I don't want you to feel guilty. Just survive. But you know what? That didn't actually help me, <laughs> to be honest. I was so grateful what he said because other people could have taken it another way and I don't feel that I've really gotten over that guilt of someone making such a selfless sacrifice and yeah it was no fault of my own I understand that but it's just the why <laughs> you know what I mean 
this guy just lost a loved one, buried a loved one, dealing with all that, went through a surgery that he really didn't have to go through at all. <laughs> you know, he's, he's got a body of an astronaut. <laughs> Why does he have to have surgery? And the good thing is I got 11, 11 years out of it, which is the longest of all the transplants. Yeah, I think about 11 years I got out of it. I was able to travel. You know, I was able to go to Vegas for the first time. I was able to go to the Caribbean. I was able to do things for the first time in my life that I really wanted to do. But yeah, the guilt really did. The guilt affected me more than the actual transplant failing to the point where I just didn't want to see him. I didn't want to talk to him because what can I say? And I remember we, we had a barbecue and he came and we embraced, we hugged and it's like, Darren, it's okay. It's okay. You know, it's one of those things. But then, yeah, I just had to, again, adjust to dialysis. But I think the reason why the fifth transplant hurt me so much is because my consultant said, it's unlikely you're going to get another transplant. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very unlikely. You might as well get comfortable on dialysis because we don't see it happening. Too many procedures, too many transplants, too many operations, too much, too much everything. You know, your body's tired. So I kind of made up in my mind, like, okay, I don't know how long I'm going to live because <laughs> I'm tired at this point. My, everything in my body is telling me that I'm tired. <laughs> so I just went to dialysis, done what I had to do. And yeah, I got on with life the best I could, but it was a challenge because, again, I'm older. The things that would take a couple of weeks to overcome took months. But yeah, the fifth one was difficult. It was different reasons than the third transplant, but it was really difficult. It sounds so incredibly difficult what you've been through, like the trauma and the challenges that you've overcome in your journey. Again, I think you're just incredible what you've been through, what you've overcome, all the different trauma that you've had to deal with, all the challenges that you've had to deal with. I honestly am sitting here in awe of your strength and your tenacity. I, I just think you're absolutely an incredible human <laughs> being. Like, oh my goodness. So again, I cannot believe that I'm saying this, but you went on to have a sick <laughs> <laughs> kidney transplant. Yeah. How did that come about? So that was done via the very last option for transplants, to be fair, paired exchange. So me and one person donates to a husband, wife, brother, sister, whatever the case may be. Yeah, so I had the conversation with my consultant and he said, have you considered the paired exchange? I said, not really. I haven't considered any option <laughs> to do with transplants because to be honest with you, I'm tired of the word kidney transplant. I'm absolutely tired and fed up of this. So when it came to transplant, I haven't even thought about it for a second. So he said, yeah, consider this option. It's your last option. <laughs> and we're not even sure if your body can take a six transplant, to be honest with you. We don't even know if you've got space or where we would put it. So this one would be very technical from a medical point of view. We would have to speak to 
a number of consultants because we don't even know how it would be done. So it wasn't just consultants from my hospital in Oxford. There was surgeons from London, a couple from the States. These were like the main surgeons within the field to say, okay, this is the patient. This is what we want to do. Is it possible? So the option came for the PED exchange, done all the tests and everything else. Now, this was interesting from a different point of view because I feel like I've been through everything that's possible as far as kidney failure. You know, I've had every dialysis, I've had every procedure, and I've had every transplant. With this one, this is the first time, once all the tests were done and everything, they said, yeah, the surgery can go ahead. We had a date for the surgery. And now this is the first time that a surgery has been cancelled on me. So in the morning, I got myself geared up. I always go to a mental place in my mind where I need to be to get through a surgery. I go very quiet. <laughs> like I don't talk to anybody on the morning of surgery. I put my music on. I just want to be left alone. Don't talk to me. I go into survival mode. Now, I was meant to go to surgery, let's say one o'clock. I think it was like one, one thirty. Nothing had happened. The person I went with didn't go to theatre yet. They were meant to go like seven, eight in the morning. Nothing happened. It got to about 11, 12 o'clock. Called me out from the ward into the consulting room and he said, the surgery's not happening today. He kept talking, but I didn't hear anything else. I shook his hand and said, thank you. And I walked out. And I just became so low. Like, yeah, I geared myself up for another surgery. And again, it literally like ripped from me. Yeah, it was difficult. I went home and I just had to be left alone. I didn't want to talk to anybody. My friends with family were texting me like, what's going on? Is everything okay? Blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And the only words I texted them was like, it's not happening today. I'll contact you soon or something like that. Because I just needed to gather my thoughts. The consultant called me literally the same day and said, Dan, I'm really sorry to have this conversation with you, but you're going to have to have dialysis tomorrow. The person that you was meant to get your kidney from, basically they became unwell that morning, coming to the hospital and we had to make a decision if they can go through the surgery or not. Doesn't mean that you won't have the surgery, but it's not going to happen in the next couple of weeks. They need time to recover. Then we have to go through all the tests again just in case anything's changed. But during that period, you need to go on dialysis. I was like, oh, gosh. Like, okay. So done that, got a phone call saying, okay, the surgery is going to be on this particular day. I went, but I wasn't really expecting much. <laughs> like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, whatever. You know, I kind of had to get this kind of attitude just to survive. You know, expect the worst. But thank God the surgery happened. It worked. It wasn't plain sailing. The surgery that was meant to take four to five hours actually took like 12 to 14 hours. Now, I do remember before I signed a consent form, the person who was doing the surgery said, I need to talk to you. I said, OK. They said, we don't even know when we cut you open what we're going to find. You may bleed to death. If that's the case, we're not even going to worry about the transplant. We're just going to try and make you survive. And he was like, do you want to sign this consent form? <laughs> I was like, um, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, sign a consent form that I may die. But I had to think to myself, if I don't do it, I'm back on dialysis. 
But if I do it, there could be a chance that this kidney works. And I thank God he brought me through the surgery. The surgeons are absolutely amazing. Incredible, <laughs> to be honest with you. It was the same surgeon who done my fifth transplant. So she knew my body probably better than I knew myself. And I'm saying she was incredible because after I spoke to her once the surgery happened, she said that, you know, it got to a point in the surgery where she felt that she wanted to give up because it was just getting too technical. It was going on for a long period of time. So I just said, you know what, I thank you for persisting. You know, I really thank you for finding somewhere to put this kidney. The kidney was working, but it took everything out of me, this one, like everything was in out of hospital within seven days, I think it was. Went for a checkup because I thought the transplant and all the surgeries had finished. I went in for a checkup and I came out of hospital, walk into the car, and I felt this pain in my stomach. Like someone literally got a knife and stabbed me. I didn't know what it was, where it came from. My dad took me to the hospital. When this happened, he's like, Do you want to go back in? Let's go back in. Let's find out what's wrong. Because at this point, I, I was literally on my knees. I said, no, let's just get home. I just want to sleep it off. I'm sure I'll be fine in the morning. He's like, no, we're going in. I said, no, it's fine. I'm sure the kidney's okay because I'm passing water. We've just come out. You know, they're happy with everything. My blood pressure's good. It's just probably I need time to recover from the surgery. So he said, okay. I went home and that whole night I didn't sleep a minute. I was... In absolute agony, I tried tossing and turning in the bed. I went on the floor in my bedroom. It got to the point I went to lie down on my kitchen floor in the bathroom just to find a comfortable spot. I couldn't find it. The short part of this story, because it is quite long, I was rushed back to Oxford. A surgeon said, has anyone checked his bowel? Everyone said, no, the kidney's fine. The creatinine's really good. Kidney's working perfectly well. He's like, okay, let's check his bowel. Apparently, my peritoneum had dropped to my bowel. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it was now life-threatening to the point where we were told, if we do not operate on Dan, he's going to be dead in 24 hours. This time tomorrow, he will not be here. Yeah, it was, it was really difficult, really difficult, because I had to, again gear myself up for a surgery that I wasn't prepared for. Now they gave me drugs to subside the pain and all this kind of stuff. So I was so out of it, I couldn't even sign the consent form. So they had to call my dad and say, look, we need consent to operate on Darren. And he was like, yeah, no problem. I'll make my way to Oxford to sign. They're like, no, we don't have time. If you give us a consent over the phone, when you come, you can sign the consent form, but we need to get your son to surgery like now. And of course, he said yes. Yeah, just had to have a, another operation, which was six hours. But yeah, it was a very challenging time, really challenging. The surgery went well. But the good news is <laughs> I've now had this transplant for two years. Gone, August just gone, it was two years, working really well. And I try my best not to think anything negative towards this transplant. I try and remain as positive as I can. I'm older now, I'm 42. I've got a great relationship with my doctors and dialysis and nurses. So anything I feel, I go straight to the hospital. I don't wait around. <laughs> you know, I'm not in my teens anymore. Like, yeah, we wait till tomorrow. 
I literally have such a great relationship with them. I can literally go there this afternoon and say, you know, I'm not feeling great. They would do blood tests and deal with whatever. I've now got my life back. You know, I've always wanted to be a chef. I'm now a chef, living my goals and my dreams. And, you know, life is good. <laughs> you know, that's why I'm smiling. Because despite it all, it's got a happy ending. Now, yeah, they did say they gave me a lifespan of this kidney, which is a good lifespan, but I don't hold on to that. You know, I just, I'm a believer. I just put my trust in God that he will help me the same way that he's helped me with everything else that I've been through. He will help me with this. So yes, this is my sixth transplant, <laughs> as crazy as it sounds. And I'm grateful to God that the kidney's working. I'm strong. I've never been stronger. I'm older, but I've never been stronger, able to do things that I wasn't able to do before. But yeah, this is the journey. <laughs> um, yeah, 42 year journey, but I'm smiling because I'm still here to, to tell you the story, my journey, where I've lost a lot of friends along the way who had chronic kidney disease and for whatever reason have passed away. But yeah, I'm here, man. I'm here. Thank God. I'm here. To say that my mind is completely blown by your story, like I am struggling to find words to express myself, how much admiration I have for you to come through so much trauma, operations, dialysis, transplants, everything that you've gone through and overcome. And as I've said before, to sit here and be talking about being grateful and having a positive outlook on the future and having that hope and strength. It's incredible. It's honestly, I'm just so taken aback by everything that you're saying and the fact that, honestly, I'm struggling to find the words <laughs> to say because I admire you so much and I think you are an incredible, incredible person. and. I really want to give the space and time for you to share a word of encouragement for the listeners. But before I do, I also want to, I know that you are active on social media. So I just wanted you to share if anyone wants to follow you online, what are yeah. your handles if they want to follow you? Yeah, sure. I'm on Instagram, Darren J. Ferguson, and I'm on Facebook, Darren Ferguson. So you should just be able to type that in and find me on Facebook. Okay, so that's Instagram, Darren J. Ferguson, and yeah. on Facebook, Darren Ferguson. But yeah. we'll put the links in the description box so people can find you online. No problem. I want to leave the final word with you, Darren. What encouragement or final word of advice do you have for the listeners? Well, again, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to speak. Being quite emotional because sometimes we hide things that we think that we've dealt with, or <laughs> and then when we reopen the the wound, it's a uh, yeah, quite painful. And um, word of encouragement. Wow, I'm actually struggling. <laughs> I think, yeah, I would say the first thing I would say is find a good support structure. That may be a family member, work colleague, psychiatrist, whatever your support structure is, 
find it if you don't have it because you won't go through this alone you won't be able to survive i've been able to survive 42 years of chronic kidney disease and everything else because i've always had a great support structure family got great family got great friends the support structure from the NHS, you know, Great Ormond Street, Royal Free, Milton Keynes, they've been absolutely incredible. You know, they know things about me that not even my own family know because it's a safe space to speak. And without that safe space, I wouldn't be here, you know, because there was times that I literally thought I was going out of my mind, <laughs> literally. But my word of encouragement would be, don't quit. That's the only thing that's going through my mind there's nothing special about me at all there, there really isn't i beg to uh, differ <laughs> there really isn't anything special i'm just somebody that made up my mind from a very young age not to quit now i i know that my consultant said that a large number of people who suffer from chronic kidney disease will die from chronic kidney disease i just made up a mind that won't be me <laughs> You, you know, I just told my mind, no way. When the time is right, I'll die from something, maybe, but it won't be chronic kidney disease. <laughs> um, yeah, don't quit. You know, somebody may be listening to this who's suffering from chronic kidney disease or just going through something different, but who is on the edge. Dig deep and fight. Dig deep and fight fight for your life you know that's what i've had to do on so many occasions literally you know i've been told so many times like you're gonna die i weren't meant to live past the age of seven i'm now 42 you know i've been told that i'm gonna die within a number of days or a number of hours and i'm still here and the reason why i'm saying there's nothing special about me because we all have that instinct that fight instinct we just have to find it that's the bottom line we just have to find it if you had to fight for your children if you had to fight for your job if you had to fight for your relationship you would find it somewhere so if you're suffering from chronic kidney disease and you're at the edge and you feel like you want to give up you want to stop treatment i beg you not to quit just dig deep do you know what? It's, it's okay to have a rest day. <laughs> it's actually okay. I found out along the, my journey that it's okay to say, do you know what? I'm not going to do nothing today. I'm just going to sit down, vegetate, watch football, watch my movies, do whatever. But when you've done all that, get up and fight. Despite the pain and the anguish and the anger and the whatever else, you have to find a reason to survive and what i will say is guard your heart i have every reason to be bitter twisted towards doctors surgeons whoever but i keep my heart as pure as possible because i'm still here <laughs> you know what i mean um, yes i've had six transplants and everything else but i smile and i laugh and i enjoy life as much as i can because i realize Tomorrow is not promised to anybody. So while I have the energy, while I have a working kidney, while I have people around me that I love and they love me, I'm going to enjoy and maximize every day. And I want to tell somebody 
that you're valuable. You mean something to somebody. And without you being here, there's going to be a big void to somebody. So you may think quitting, dying, stopping treatment, not having that surgery is the best answer. It really isn't because you're valuable to somebody. So please, somebody listening to me, it's time to get up and fight and don't quit. And I promise you, I promise you, it will get better. That's all I can say. Thank you so much for your encouragement, Darren. Thank you so much for your bravery in sharing the most difficult and traumatic aspects of your experiences. Thank you so much for being so brave, for sharing such powerful advice and encouragement. Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. It's really, it's been painful, (laughs) to be honest. It's been emotional, but I do things like this to try and save somebody's life. Yeah, that's the only reason why I openly talk about my journey because maybe me going through this will help somebody else to continue living their journey wherever that may be but i really want to thank you for the opportunity to share and thank you for what you're doing with the podcast i think it's absolutely incredible what you're doing and yeah anything i can do to support i will and just know I've got your back. <laughs> you know, us kidney patients have got to stick together. <laughs> but no, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.